This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Thank you for joining us for the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim and Pastor Michael with you. We've been answering questions about pacifism. Mm. Ooh, I got it right that time. You did a good job. Very and today's question is, would Jesus fight in the U.S. military? Michael, this is going to be a good conversation. Let's withhold our answer. Yeah, let's, let's create try. some drama, yeah, yeah. arbitrary suspense for no reason other than control. Okay, so <laughs> uh, let's talk about a few things that we... We know from Scripture. We know from Scripture. Here's yeah. number one. This, this, okay, if you are a little bit liberal, um, I love you. I'm so glad you're listening. Welcome. And this may grind some of your liberal sensi- sensitivities and uh, sensibilities. And so uh, here's one that I think is uh, a biblical reality. God is pro national sovereignty, that God came up with the idea of nations, languages, and cultures, gives them borders, and actually commissions them in scripture to defend themselves. Yes. So it started really uh, at the Tower of Babel, which obviously he gave different languages, and that's where he created that. But then even in creating the Jewish nation, he immediately showed that he has high value for national sovereignty. Even mm-hmm. if it's just one nation, he has high value for it. Right. But we see is that when we get to, uh, throughout the Old Testament, uh, that God actually does uh, value and appreciate other nations Correct. and allows them to sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. And he basically just says, follow my laws and you can sustain yourself. And we see that as well in cultures, Absolutely. various cultures. God has ordained and he sovereignly allows different cultures. Yep. And he created different languages on purpose. God came up with each of these languages at Babel. God allowed ethnic diversity, national diversity, cultural diversity, even to the point where in heaven, God is retaining those diverse realities, every Mm -hmm. tribe and tongue and nation and language and culture, et cetera. And so those are biblical principles. Not only that, but you get to the New Testament, you get to scriptures where in Romans 13, the governments are given sword to protect their national sovereignty. They're actually given by God the responsibility to protect their citizens. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get Acts 17, 26 to 28, which is a a really unique, uh, meaningful text about the heart of God and boundaries and nationalities and nations and sovereignty. Uh, It says this, and he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind, so that God is even making nations. Nations, yes. To live on all the face of the earth. So God's design was that nations would exist. And actually, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, we have no idea what God's plan for nations and ethnic and cultural diversity would have been in a new Mm -hmm. heaven, in an original heaven and earth, if you will. Now, here's what we do know. In the new heaven and the new earth, there is some sort of cultural reality preserved. So he goes on. Uh, He has determined, uh, he's made from one man, every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods, meaning the length that he would permit their Mm -hmm. civilization to endure, and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that where they would actually live and be plotted on earth would be determined by God, Mm -hmm. and it would be temporary. So even nations are not permanent. We see that in scripture. That's why. Why is God creating nations for temporary periods of time? Why is he giving them national sovereignty, the ability to care for themselves, protect themselves, defend themselves, et cetera, that they should seek God? Uh, This is really meaningful. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Here's, Here's this big picture that 
I think Jesus is pro-national sovereignty because this yes. is part of the design by which God made it. Mm-hmm. So this globalism, multiculturalism, which basically says we need to become one global community, this one world that idea. It grinds on me. It does because I, I think it grinds on you because uh, the only human being capable of leading the globe and not extorting and using people is going to be Jesus, Jesus Christ. himself, yeah. And God knows that no one human being um, should ever have international total absolute power. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a small group of people, um, that absolute power will absolutely corrupt them. And so God's remedy for this is uh, basically multiple nations, sovereign, independent nations looking out for their interests, and yet being kind and gracious and collaborative and sensitive to their neighbors, mm-hmm. which is why the Jewish people had incredibly high view of hospitality. Yes. So that when foreigners would come in, peace would be made. And those foreigners weren't even required when they came into their nation to worship their gods. Mm-hmm. There was nothing like that. Uh, they were not allowed to worship false religions, but they didn't force them to worship their gods. Right. So there is this multinational in the way in which the temple was built. Absolutely. The, the outer court was a court of the Gentiles or yep. the foreigners. And they, even in the, in the way in which the Jewish religious system was set up, God provided a, yep. a means in which foreigners or outsiders could worship him. Yep. It was, it's really, it's an incredible system. So right now what we find in liberal politics is this idea of globalism that we all need to basically come together to be one world government, if you will, which one international currency. All of these things get really, really slippery because what they start doing is piece by piece, uh, centralizing, um, whether it's money, military, government, policies, et cetera, And what we see in this age is that two of the most, I'll say, oppressive overall regime approaches in this world, one is a dictatorship and the other is socialism, communism. Mm -hmm. And what we find is that there is a general liberal agenda that when power is concentrated, it either becomes a hyper dictatorship or communism. And these oppressed people, communism has never, ever, ever worked out well anywhere because it's fundamentally flawed. And so what we find is that these oppressive types of governments start to raise up whenever a power, whether it's currency, military, or policy are centralized, it does not typically go well, which is why the, in the American experience, we say that the Judeo-Christian ethic has formed the way this culture has mm-hmm. been made. And one of the things that the authors of the Constitution heavily informed through Scripture understood is that in Scripture, God made multiple nationalities, mm-hmm. and they even figured out in the American system, we need to decentralize authority to the states and then even pass that as they develop things like counties and villages That's and right. cities, et cetera. All of that is a Christian ethic, decentralizing authority, because part of the Christian ethic understands that God knows that centralized authority ends up corrupting people and hurting people in the long run. So people may have never considered uh, how the Judeo-Christian ethic informs how American governance works, but those are some of the, those are some really important keys. what we found with the liberal movement right now is that they're moving towards centralization, which always corrupts, mm-hmm. always centralizes power, centralizes currency, exploits the poor, and uh, and they do that through entitlements. It's a really corrupt program, and you never, ever, ever see that in Scripture being the government's responsibility. That's right. So the question, yeah. actually, that we're yeah. dealing with is would Jesus join the U.S. military? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and we're talking about things that we know from Scripture. Yeah. And the second thing we know 
is that Jesus is not anti-war. He is not an anti-war savior. Yeah. He's going to wage war on the we entire world who opposes him. So he's clearly okay with it. Yeah. He advocated Israel going to war. Yeah. So we read about that in, in Revelation chapter 16, where we read about the battle of Armageddon, where Jesus will now wage war against those that are against him, opposing him, and against his means of the millennium. Yep. Number three, Jesus created not just government, but he endowed government with the authority of the sword, which in scripture is the, the power, the authority to make, we'll, we'll just say in American terms, just, just war. war. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so he's okay with that. And then whenever a centurion or Roman soldier comes to faith in Christ, he never once tells them, lay down your sword, your sword, take off your armor, you know. Right. Clearly if that were, I mean, sexually immoral, stop sinning. You yes. know what I mean? Prostitute, stop sinning. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're immoral, stop that. But he doesn't ever he seem to make... Never forbid that. Yeah. He never told a soldier, all right, you be a defector now. Yep. So here's the question then. Would Jesus... So Jesus is not against war. He's pro-nationality. He appreciates the idea of nations having sovereignty, the ability to protect themselves, self-govern, et cetera, decentralizing authority. Those are biblical principles, mm -hmm. okay? Would Jesus himself then, since he is pro-government, he is pro-decentralized authority. He will affirm and advocate war. Would he himself have joined the Roman or Jewish military? Would he have joined the U.S. military? US military. What do you say? I say no. I say no also. And the reason why, and I think we would agree on this, the major reason that he came to this earth was not to wage war in his first coming. His major reason for coming to earth in his, in his first coming was to provide a example of what does it mean to be sinless and to die for the sins of mankind. Yep. And going to war, quite honestly, probably what? wasn't in his purpose statement. No. <laughs> in the second coming, he's going to eradicate sin. Yep. But he doesn't do that in behalf of America. He Not does that all. in behalf of the one world government that he will establish That's in righteousness. Right. And that that is the distinction until Jesus establishes that. There are multiple governments which hold each other in check intention. And I think that's part of the beautiful thing. But no, I, I think it's totally off mission for him to do that. Right. And the saying, you know, that was very popular many years ago, what would Jesus do? Well, I don't think Jesus would have joined the military either in his day or in our day. But that doesn't mean that that would necessarily be our response. We yep. would not necessarily do exactly what Jesus did because... He has a different purpose for yeah. each of us. Well, Jesus found it fit to not be married, and does, that does right. not mean, what would Jesus do? Well, he wouldn't marry the girl. Well, does that mean I can't? No, I'm married at all. So that's the sort of logic that I think you're really right to point out that people say, well, Jesus wouldn't have done that. There's a lot of things Jesus wouldn't have done that we have permission to do. Well, yeah. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and I can't do that myself. And then to people who think drinking is immoral, I want to say, okay, what would Jesus do? He literally would drink. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I mean, we have now, that. If he was an alcoholic, obviously he wouldn't do that though. So no. that's a different category. Uh, I don't mean to be enabling to anybody by that statement. <laughs> I'm just saying it's interesting that people are like, but Jesus wouldn't do that. And I'm like, okay, well, the very things Jesus would do, you say we shouldn't do. So, yes. ah, you know, yep. like, let's be consistent. So this week was about pacifism. Yep. So final words. I don't want anybody to hear this and just think we're like, cold-hearted conservatives who are just like, pull out your gun and shoot and yeah, kill. We're, you know? we're anxious to go out and kill right. somebody. That I, is not true. No. War is disgusting and ugly, but it's real. And anyone who has ever been in war would affirm that. Yep. Every individual, male or female, that I have met in the military or in law enforcement that have had to serve and had to take a life have all been affected. Profoundly. It's because of sin. Yeah. But God's laws 
literally are written because mm-hmm. of sin. What God has created and organized and orchestrated on this earth is because he's not a God who is unsympathetic to the realities of the world we live in. He understands it. And that's why, if I can just give a shout out to our military, that's why we ought to, ought to honor our veterans. Yep. We ought to appreciate what they've done, stepping into a, a situation that that the average citizen has no clue of what that's like to be thrust into harm's way. Yep. It's God, also yeah why we pray for our leaders yeah. so they can have wisdom and be at peace because the implications of their lack of wisdom is every one of us, our kids, our potential grandkids, our yeah. legacies, our family, our national security, uh, global peace. And now that we're dealing with H-bombs and A-bombs, it's mm-hmm. like, it's insane. It's yeah. just a really difficult but we need to pray. We need to really encourage those who are, I agree with you, man. It's a, it doesn't, if you're on the front lines of justice, yeah, it's a very unjust world. And mm-hmm. uh, to that, to those people, whether it's the front lines of the sex slave industry, the human traffic industry, police, fire, military, it's just, it's, it's hard. And justice, injustice uh, is everywhere. So, uh, Tim, this has been fun. And, and there was uh, so much more we could say, oh but we gosh. have to limit ourselves. Chomping at the bit here, yeah. chomping at the bit. Next week, kids in public, public education. education. Ooh, man, should I send my kids to public school? Where is the line? We're going to mm. have another discussion with Susan Elliott and Brianne Feeling, my wife. And then uh, next Friday, I love this one, transgendered kids in elementary school. How should I train my kids to respond to this teaching and to sexually confused kids. These are big, wow, these are big hefty questions. Big questions. So we're going to try to open up God's word, filter these through that and be as helpful as possible. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.